На трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We're recording at a slightly different time than usual this week, as we had to delay our recording in order to discuss all the midweek European action. Firstly, Spartak Moscow lost against Benfica 2-0 in Lisbon, and thus the entire leg, entire tie 4-0 on aggregate. They now drop out of the Champions League and fall straight into the Europa League group stages. Meanwhile, Ruben and Sochi both lost their Conference League qualification games against Rakov and Partizan respectively, and thus will not partake any further in any European competition this season. We'll cover all of that and also catch up on the latest RPL action, focusing more upon this week some teams that we did miss in the previous ones, including taking a look at some of the big changes in the summer, both Loco and Siska. To discuss that, as usual, I'm joined by David Sanson. I'll change my introduction to good morning, James. <laughs> and Richard Pike. Change mine to good morning, James. Good morning, David. How are we all? <laughs> Yeah, it's quite rare that we're recording in the mornings. It's usually, we're a little bit groggy this morning because it is a morning recording. Usually it's grogginess after getting back from work and and getting ready for the weekend. But we are still recording ahead of the RPL games. By the time this releases, it will be out in the midst of the games that are taking place this week. So it's going to be far more of a retrospective podcast, looking at the European matches, looking at the summer in general for some of the sides that we've kind of left by the wayside somewhat this season. And that is, of course, I mentioned Siska and Loco earlier, but of course as well, Himki, Krasnodar and Akhmat Grozny. But if we're going to jump straight in this time to the European matches midweek, and we'll start with the side that played last, and that was Sochi, who lost in Belgrade to Partizan. And Richard, you kept an eye on the game. I did, yes. Um, and disappointing that they went out on penalties. Um Obviously, you know it, it's it's always disappointing when when a club a club from the RPL loses. Uh, from my point of view, because we need as many coefficient points as we can get. Um, but overall, I thought Sochi gave it a good go. Um, yeah, it's obviously disappointing to lose, but but you know they this was their European debut and they're playing against um, a side in Partizan who um, you know are not as big a name as they once were in European football, but they are still, they qualify for Europe every year. They've got that know-how, they've got that experience. They're one of the the big two sides in the domestic league. And I thought over the two legs and extra time, I thought Partizan probably did edge the game. They were slightly the better side. Um, But I certainly think Sochi gave them a run for the money and and competed well. Um, I think they were unlucky. Um, to lose that goal late on. And it's so frustrating because they've done all the hard work and then Janayev, Sosan Janayev, the goalkeeper, just flaps the corner and then Partizan equalise. And then after that, it seemed like it seemed like to me there was a lot of incidents in the game where you, you thought to yourself it's not going to be Sochi's night. Like There was one incident where I think in the first half of extra time they'd beaten the goalkeeper with a shot. I've forgotten what player it was. And then one of the Partizan players just got back on and just, you know, kicked it off the line before it went in the goal. And who knows if that goes in, you know, they get a third lead in the game and surely they're not going to throw away three leads after throwing away two. And then, interestingly, like in the penalty shootout, I noticed two, the third penalty that Partizan scored when it was, um, I think it was 2-1 or 3-2 in the penalty, 2-1 in the penalty shootout. Uh, Partizan players shot it and it, it hit um, the post, but then bounced off Janayev into the goal. I mean, when that happens, you, you, when that happened, you kind of knew Sochi's night was it's not it's not going to be their night. And but then again, I guess that was kind of you know a bit of a bit of good luck for Partizan, which cancelled out the bit of good luck Sochi received in the first leg when they got a penalty which wasn't a penalty. Uh, the foul took place outside of the box, so I guess that evened itself out a little bit. Um, so yeah, disappointing for Sochi, but there were some good good bits in the game. Like you know, they they showed they competed well with an experienced side, um, and. You know, I like some of the passing between the lines and getting the ball at the field quickly. That's something we haven't seen from some Russian sides in Europe in the past. You know, most notably Rostov and Dinamo last year when they were disappointed. So, disappointing, yes, but a decent effort by Sochi, considering they were unseeded and considering they were playing against an opponent with quite a lot of pedigree. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see them have another go at the Conference League if they possibly could within the next couple of seasons. Um, but, yeah. Still disappointing, but overall disappointing, but a little bit of not the, you know, some pride to take out of it, I think, you know, even if the result was disappointing. 
Yeah, certainly disappointing. I think it was the manner of the defeat as well. Obviously, losing in penalties is a lottery and it's never easy either. But I feel a little bit sorry for Sochi because to get what well, it's well, the so early in the Conference League and to, to get a tie like Partizan Belgrade, and Sochi are probably, maybe unfair to say, but in terms of talent, a better side than Partizan. Very similarly matched, but I think they would, in terms of pure talent alone, I think Sochi have got more. But Partizan have just got an absolute huge amount of European experience. And that really showed in the night. While Sochi obviously were up um, in the tie twice, I thought throughout the game, Partizan were just a little bit cuter. And they used that European experience throughout to, to get themselves back in it. And it's like you said, Richard, it's it's such a shame that Janayev was kind of like the villain of the night because if it wasn't for that mistake, Sochi obviously going through and not comfortably, but going through after winning away in Belgrade, which very, very few teams can actually do. Um, well, one last thing from my end is, while I can see the benefits of the away goals rule being scrapped, it's such a shame here that it was, because obviously if not for that that rule being scrapped, then Sochi would be through right now. Yeah, it's frustrating how UEFA come to delay it an extra year because <laughs> Sochi would have gone through. A couple of other things I'll just say as well. Um, I thought that, um, just very quickly, Markovic was really good for, for Partizan. You know, you can tell that's a player who in the past has played for the likes of Benfica and Liverpool. Um, and yeah, it, it was just really unlucky that they got a tie as difficult as Partizan. But, you know, hopefully it's a learning curve for them and they'll learn from it. So, and yeah, like you said, penalties is a lottery, so... Yeah, certainly. It's by no means an embarrassing performance, say, like we, we mentioned last year with with Dinamo against Lokomotiv Tbilisi. They, it's the first time ever in Europe. It's only about the third year, fourth year the clubs existed as an entity. They're already in Europe, which is credit to themselves. And I thought they really did give themselves arguably the most, not impressive performance, but the most creditable, creditable performance out of the three sides. If we do move further up the table in the RPL, but further down in terms of scale of credit to a performance. David, it's time to discuss Ruben's disaster midweek. Well, I think, I mean, it's a, it's a two-leg, it was a two-legged affair and the, the disaster definitely not just down onto a one-night thing. Um, obviously, Ruben went out, which highly disappointing considering uh, the draw, you know, Rekov are, are European debutants. Rubin, not debuted, it's obviously not been in Europe for, for a good five years. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a tough one to watch. You know, we obviously, they'd gone to Poland last week, um, drawn nil-nil. We'd we got a, a chance to see Rakov. They were, you know, they're a very well-drilled team. They, they play a bit um, sort of like a Liverpool-esque style, a very, very high-pressing Really aggressive pressing, very well drilled in defence, um, and they they were worth their they were definitely worth the nil nil draw in Poland last week. Ruben had one very very good chance early on from from Kraliskelia, which he should have scored. Um, you know, within I think it was just about in the first fifteen minutes, and maybe that changes the tie. Uh, it was it was actually over the full two legs, other than the goal that. Uh, Rakov eventually scored it was the best chance like there was no better chance in the second leg at all um, both games were, were fairly dull affairs to be honest um, Ruben, Ruben struggled to break Rakov down over the two legs um, in both legs Ruben were, were hit with injuries the first game um, they were without Samoshnikov then their second choice left back Zuev went off injured after half an hour Shatov then went off injured and Huang was missing, so they had to play Kostyukov in midfield. Uh, second leg then came around, Despot got injured on the weekend, so they were playing Kostyukov up front instead. Smoshnikov and Huang are back, but then Ignatiev had to play it right back, and then Zotov played it right back and come off injured at half time, so then we had third choice right back on. So uh, it was a it was a tough couple of weeks for Ruben in terms of injuries and the the lack of squad depth afforded to them, particularly by by you know the the encroachments of the limit were was was visible to see you know Ruben have, have been struggling this summer with their foreigners and, and what to do with them, uh, you know Mitsuki Saito has has not been registered for the league until this weekend 
when Despot was withdrawn because of injury, and they said, "Well, we can we can now register Saito." Uh, but he's been able to play in Europe, and he actually made his debut for Rubin on uh, in extra time because uh, obviously this this tie this week went to extra time. Um, you know the fact that you know Kostyukov played up front yeah, and played in centre mid. You know that's he's essentially third choice for both of those positions, um, and he's had to play in both legs. That's not something that you know Rubin were not hoping to to do. Um, refereeing on the on the second leg was very poor. Uh, Rakov should have had a penalty in, in the first half of extra time. Admittedly, I, I will admit this. Um, before he then made some very poor decisions against Rubin. Samoshnikov was given two yellow cards, the first of which was definitely not a yellow card, and the second of which was very harsh. Um, you know, Samoshnikov, after he got the first yellow, should have known better, and you know he went into this quite hard tackle, which in which he won the ball, but uh, you know he gave the ref the opportunity to give him a second yellow very quickly. Uh, and Ruben had just made a triple sub as well, their last triple sub of the game, which gave them no room to change their shape. Uh, and very shortly afterwards, uh, Rakov scored the goal, the, the winning goal from the side, which uh, Samoshnikov had vacated. Leon Masayev well, had to drop in at left back, which apparently he'd done a couple of times in his youth, but obviously uh, you know, not effectively enough. So uh, the ref was then kind again to Ruben gave us a chance you know he gave us a 120th minute penalty which which was uh, a soft penalty to say the least and uh Haksabanovic stepped up and, and had it saved unfortunately it wasn't it wasn't a particularly great penalty it was a comfortable height for the goalie and uh, he was he, he was very upset afterwards with himself as you might expect um so you know the we, you know, we can blame blame the ref a bit. We can blame the, the foreign limit, you know, in terms of then allowing the injuries to have a big effect on the squad. But you know, ultimately, there there was still a chance there, even just to take it to penalties, um, which we squandered. Um, and it is a disappointing result over, over two legs, you know. It, it was one that certainly on paper you'd fancied us to win. Uh once we we Rakov showed their hand in the first leg, and you realised actually this is a good, well drilled, and well coached team. Um, you know they they sold a couple of players over this summer. I think Richard mentioned it last week. A couple of players for for five million euros a piece, much like Ruben have sold a couple of expensive players. So uh, yeah, they're a good team, and and uh, yeah, they 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 were the. The better team over the two legs, and and that was that's the end of uh, Ruben's adventure in Europe. Unfortunately, um, you know it was it was so hopeful after you know finishing fourth. Um, and the mad thing is, you know, finishing fourth in the Premier League only got got us to that level. Even if they beat Rakov, there's still another qualification round to get through to to enable European football, um, and that would have been against Ghent, who who'd beaten the Latvian side uh, on aggregate. So. Who's to know whether Ruben would have even have gotten past uh, past Ghent and, and made it through to the group stages had they had they beaten Rakov? But Europe's over. Disappointing considering you know the domestic form. We we've only lost uh, I think three times in in the league in 2021. Um, so we we just have to now focus on the league and, and hope we can uh, do well uh, for the rest of the season. We are now despotless, I think, for at least the next two to three weeks, which will be a struggle, but we uh, will have to battle on. So, of course, in lieu of despot, would that be Kostyukov starting ahead of Ivan Ignatiev? Well, Ignatiev come on against Achmat, and I actually thought was very good, you know, um, considering, okay, relatively very good, considering how, how poor he had been <laughs> since signing. Uh, you know, he, he won the penalty, uh, he won the the free kick, which uh, resulted in Shelley being sent off against Achmat and Paxavanovic scored from. Um, and he was instrumental in a chance, which um, the Achmat goalies tipped onto the bar as well. He's, Slutsky said he'd start Kostyukov against Rakov because he was aware that um, there would be a lot of uh, aerial challenges and Kostyukov is stronger in that respect than, than Ignatiev. Mm-hmm. I think Ignatiev has a role to play. 
Uh, our game this weekend is against Kirillia Sovitsov. In theory, we should be in dominant possession of that one. So it might be one for Ignatiev to go in and play. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. I think I think he deserves a chance again. Uh, and, you know, considering we're out for exactly three weeks, I'm sure he will get at least one chance over the, the time that Despot is absent to, to try and prove himself again. Yeah, and Ruben will need to bounce back. Obviously, Despot is that big miss, but there's still enough quality throughout the side to, to defeat a Krillia team who have what, lost three in a row now and have and were really poor against Arsenal Tula as well. I mean, hmm. Krillia had a lot of possession against Arsenal Tula, but they just didn't seem to do very much with it. A lot of it was just kind of meaningless passing out from the back and, and they, they really didn't know how to break down what is ostensibly a very poor Arsenal defence. So yeah. if right now, if you want any team to bounce back against, it's actually probably Krillia. With Krillia the, or Arsenal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's, it's a perfect uh, team to play after yeah. a disappointing performance in, yeah. in both legs. I mean, I should say that, you know, on the night, particularly second leg, uh, Kavicha was excellent uh, in the second leg. He, I mean, I haven't checked the numbers. I mean, he must have had at least 15, 16 dribbles with, I would guess, at least 75% success. He was he was very, very good. Um, oof, okay. According to, uh, I just pulled it up on his stat. According to this, he attempted 35 dribbles, which is the most I've ever seen for him. That's, that's outrageous. Uh, and with 63% c- completion rate. Granted, that did go into extra time, so it's going to be a bit higher than, than it might be. Um, the Rakov were very dominant in extra time. So, uh, yeah, he was just on another level. Abu Gor was very good as well. Samoshnikov was good until his, his sending off. But uh, we were just missing that that extra piece, and Kostikov didn't have a particularly good game up front. He was... You know, he was Put in the energy, but uh, we were definitely missing uh, someone in the box to, to try and get on the end of these these chances that that Kvitsa was creating. Yeah, certainly. And so we've now lost both of our Conference League sides. Zenit are the only Champions League group stage side, and Lokomotiv, of, of course, are in the Europa League after the courtesy of their cup win. Now, we have dropped down to only one Champions League side because, of course, midweek as well, Spartak lost against Benfica 2-0. 4-0 on aggregate throughout the course of the tie and are now in the Europa League group stages. Uh, I'll cover Spartak myself quite briefly, just a little quick run through the game. But essentially, both legs were exactly the same. It was a weakened Spartak side, admittedly. Moses only was only fit enough for the bench for the first leg, missed the entirety of the second. Uh, Princey Promes was injured for both games and missed the entirety of the tie. Um, that forced in the second leg, particularly uh, Rui Vittoria to make quite a few changes, um, introducing Alexander Lomovitsky to the first team, um, which was surprising. I was most Spartak fans were as surprised about it as you are. Um, and of course, if you just look at the quality of the sides, when you've got Players such as Lomovitsky and Nikolai Raskasov on the right-hand side against Benfica's sheer quality. It's There really is a gulf in class between the two, and that, that's shown in the match. Um, Benfica dominated possession. They dominated the majority of the chances, particularly in the first leg. In the second leg, they only actually had one shot on goal and won 2-0, which is... <laughs> one shot on target, sorry, and won 2-0, as such as how the leg went. Um, of course, the other goal was an own goal from Sam Gijo. The only man really who can hold the head high after after both performances is probably Georgi Jikia. He was excellent at the back. He made more defensive actions than any other player on the pitch, won more duels than any other player on the pitch, and and really did like show a captain's performance and prove why he is the captain. Um he's the only one with a decent any form of average aggregate um statistical score in, in, out, after coming out from the games. Um, it was really just men against boys and the golf and quality was there. There's, without getting too much into it, because we've been, we did discuss Spartak quite a lot last season and there, what's going on behind the scenes. But of course, after the game, sporting director, was it the first leg or the second leg? Um, sporting director Dmitry Popov had resigned from his post, he cited that it was the involvement of Zarema Salikova that forced his 
resignation and the the boardroom troubles and the in, the uh, involvement of others in the within the boardroom. Um, whether that's one hundred percent true or not, I'm not quite sure. It does really does honestly sound like a a very convenient ex- excuse from what's been a quite pitiful summer from the board level. Yes, they brought in Rui Vittoria, but then haven't backed him whatsoever in the transfer window. They've really stagnated on the pitch in terms of the the people that they've brought in and, and the development. It's, it's just been, there's been no development. Like you say, like I said before, you, you're going back to bringing back players like Lomovitsky and Raskasov from their loans and relying upon them. At one point, you had Melkadza playing quite heavily in pre-season as well as Artyom Timofeyev before his move to uh, Akhmat permanently. So it's obviously Vittoria was willing to give these players chances. Coming in, everyone has a fresh start. But Spartak themselves just look like they're stagnating and it's been quite a poor start of the season. But I will, instead of getting on a, a rant and a high horse about Spartak because I've probably bored every listener to death far too much about that, we'll try and I'll move on now and stick to European football. But firstly, Richard and then David yourself after as well. What do you think the overall reason for the poor performances in Europe, the continuing poor performances in Europe? Is it potentially the foreign element, a gulf in quality, or is it more so just bigger problems, inherent problems about the quality of the coaching and the quality of the football in, in the nation right now? Richard? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people are probably, you know, I've, I've, I saw a lot of um, posts on Twitter after the game and, you know, I think a lot of people now are looking at the foreign limit and going, yeah, that's the reason for Russian clubs being being poor in Europe. Um, don't get me wrong, I think all of us want to see either the foreign limit being at minimum relaxed or ideally removed. But ultimately, I think it comes down more to the foreign limit. Um, I think there's more to it than that. I think coaching is definitely an issue. Like I was looking at Rakoff earlier and their manager, he's brought them up through... The, the the divisions in Poland, in Poland, um, you know, and you know, there's other leagues working with foreign limits as well. I was speaking to some Serbian guys after the Sochi Partizan game, and they were telling me that in Serbia they have four player, four foreign players maximum on the pitch at any one time. So you could even argue that their limits even more strict than the RPL. So other leagues like that are managing. You know, Rostov and Dinamo last year lost to um, to Maccabi Haifa and. Um, and Lokomotiv Tbilisi in Georgia and Israel, they have foreign play limits. So, you know, the, the other leagues are managing too with these limits. You know, um, it's not ideal for them either, but they're getting on with it. Uh, so, yeah, I think it is really just a whole package here. And I, I'd probably throw in mentality as well. You know, do the players probably go into, and the managers and the teams go into games and underestimate teams? You know, you can't underestimate anybody nowadays. You know, it is, it is just a fact. You know, there's been some surprise results in the conference league so far. Um, I think really with Russian football, it is just everything. Yeah, just not enough good coaching, not enough good coaches coming through, not adapting to styles. Like, I still think Russian clubs play too slow a game. You know, not enough verticality, transition between the lines is poor. And then, yeah, the foreign limit, it kind of just really is the complete package, I think, with me. Uh, it's it's just really, really depressing, <laughs> considering as well we banked on the Conference League being, you know, a chance for Russian clubs to get some points. Yeah, that's... The irony of it is, I remember sitting here what a year ago when we discussed the the changes to the Conference League and how it would affect Russian clubs. And I think one of the big bonuses we all discussed was how it would potentially give Russian clubs deeper roots into getting up coefficient, picking up coefficient points that are desperately needed. And we've now got both teams out of the Conference League before we even get to the fourth qualifying stage. Never mind the the the, the actual competition proper. Why this is such an issue, to quickly, before going on to David, is Russia are currently ninth in the coefficient league standings. Of course, two years ago, they were fifth. They've dropped down below Portugal, France, Holland, Scotland. Um, That takes into account the last five seasons. If you bring into account just the last three seasons, Russia would already stand 13th. Bringing into account the last five seasons, next year, Russia will be dropping down to 15th. And that's a serious, serious issue and, and, and massive effect on the amount of uh, European positions and the, the coefficient of the league in general. It doesn't actually change again until 2024. So it's basically this season and the last two. 
sort of thing. But that's even worse for Russia because those good seasons when you had, say, Siska, I know they went out in the group stages, but beating Real Madrid, you had um, Zenit getting through to the last 16 in the Champions League. Well, now we're, what, two wins, one, two wins, in one win in a competition proper in the entirety of last season both teams out of the conference league before we even get to the proper this season. It's only going to get worse and this effect on the coefficients will snowball. And yeah, you might think, oh, the coefficients isn't that big. It's just numbers in a league. But with a foreigner limit, which limits the amount of players that you can have effectively for European competition, already quite stringent, the less, the more the coefficient goes down, the less and less quality you have at the top of the leagues, the, the more difficult it is for, say, the, the clubs to get through and attract better players. The further down you go when you're snowballing like this, the harder it is to really turn that around. Turkey have plummeted down to what currently could be 20th next season. And that's an overall problem as well with the foreigner limit that they are going to introduce with the over vastly over-aging squads in general. It, it's very similar to Russia's, and I can see Russia continuing the tra- same trajectory unless something is done from the absolute top level. Foreign element takes effect, lack of coaching takes effect. Everything, like what you said, Richard, I think it's absolutely spot on. It isn't just one thing. It's an accumulation of a series of problems that's gone on for about a very... It's not even a very long time now, and it doesn't seem like it's going to abate. David, do you have anything to add, or do you agree or disagree with anything at all? Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think it's definitely not one sole issue. Um. You know, it, it's it's the foreign limit, say. Um, but we can't. I, I I was just thinking then, like, you know, I I, I put some of the blame on the foreign limit for, you know, giving Ruin some poor squad depth. But it's also, you know, if there is a foreign limit, it's down to the teams to to manage their squads um, effectively within that limit. Uh, and Ruben probably haven't done it particularly well. You know, when the season started and Ruben is still. Um, Sat with with nine foreigners. Uh, it's not good, you know. They 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 sold one of their foreign centre backs, you know, one of their starting centre backs at a point where they didn't have a foreign spot left to replace him. They signed earlier in the summer a foreign winger, uh, which everyone assumed at that point was to replace another foreign winger, but instead that you know Kvaratskhelia stayed. Um, and instead, they sold a Russian winger in Makarov. Um, so you know, it, it's there's some poor management there. It, you know, from and that's not just from Ruben. There, you know, I'm sure every RPL team is guilty of of mismanaging their their foreign spots. Krasnoy in particular, overloading with foreign attackers and having a terrible foreign defence, for example. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 down to a multitude of factors, and obviously the the breaking news this morning is that. Um, there are reforms that have been sent round to every team, which will change the limit for from this season. Uh, I, I say reported. Uh, there's a document that has that's been leaked, which uh, proposes a few things. But the, the main one that this is the Dutch company Hypercube that they they suggest is to you know completely remove the limit on foreign players, but to also introduce some tap some limits on wages that can be offered to foreign players and potentially even um, quality limits on the foreign players, i.e. they have to be capped by a certain amount of uh, caps and things like that. It's similar to, you know, the work permit system in the UK, essentially, is is the general gist, I think. So it would put, put hold to teams like UFA signing Castentura, like that probably wouldn't happen under the new rules, is, was one example they suggested, but... Um, you know, if the limit is completely removed, then uh, it gives teams a chance to rebuild. You know, it gives you Krasnodar's, you know, Krasnodar sat here, they're, they're a well-backed team. They've obviously just chucked a reported, you know, 15 to 20 million at Cordoba to, to get him in. And he, he looks like he's going to be, I think, a good good signing for them, by the way. Um, but... With all the foreigners they've still got in their team, they they still haven't been able to strengthen their their for their defence, which is obviously their their massive weak point, um, and therefore they're limited to having to play Sorokin or Kayo pretty much every week at this point. 
Um, and both of those are defenders who you don't want in your team, basically. Um, so yeah, if the limit can go, then we we need the big teams to immediately take advantage of the lack of limit and be proactive with their squads. Uh, and so therefore, if, if the limit is going to change it, that needs to be confirmed as soon as possible so that these teams can do the scanning and planning in advance. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I think the putting these limits on these clubs who are already mismanaged at the best of times just causes the mismanagement to 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 really have a far greater effect upon the clubs. But we will now move on and we'll mention a couple of the teams that we've just been discussing, actually, as we haven't mentioned them at all yet in a in an RPL mention. Richards, a little bit of a challenge here for you. If you could summarise Siska and Himke's catch up on their little little uh, summer break and and quick start of the season in five minutes. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, um, regarding Siska, uh, to describe them as being a bit of a jumbled mess at the moment is an understatement. Um, I watched them against uh, Dinamo and in the second ga- half of that game, I thought Dinamo totally outplayed them. Um, admittedly, as, as much as Dinamo's penalty, which drew them level, was a little bit fortunate. Um, they Dinamo should have had a penalty a minute earlier when you know, Jakob Biol, who I'm just staggered who is back at Siska playing at central defence, by the way, when they had two central defenders on the bench in Victor Vassin and Vadim Karpov, admittedly not much in terms of quality, but still strange to play a player totally out of position when you've got central defenders on, on the bench. You know, blatantly pushed Sakai in the back and that should have been given as a penalty. So, you know, they they can't really complain about the one that was given because Dinamo should have had a penalty earlier. I just think Siska are a jumbled up mess. I really do. Um, it seems like they're going from just, you know, it's this scattergun approach to transfers, you know. <laughs> Players like Bistrovic and Biol have returned. You know, it seems like they don't really know what to do with them. The one minute they're loaning them out, next minute they're bringing them back. They've re-registered um, Adolfo Geish, which, you know, I guess considering they've paid all that money for him, they're going to try and make it work. But, um you know, I wasn't that impressed of him even when he played, although admittedly he didn't play to his system, to his strengths. Um, yeah, Bruno Fuchs has come back from the Olympics. He didn't play for Brazil, I don't think, but he ended up winning a gold medal. Um, so hopefully that might strengthen the defence. That might sort out the defence now and they can put um, they can put him alongside Igor Uh Obiakov was playing left-back, I thought, um, in that game. If, I, if my mind serves me correctly, it, it's just a jumbled up mess and then so much... So much with the coaching issue as well. Like you know, they brought in Olic and they just, they got rid of him. They brought in Berezutsky. I'm not sure about that. Berezutsky should be doing what Alexander Kurtzkov is doing, working up through the divisions, going just coaching the youth teams first, then dropping down to Tom Tonks, then going to Nishni Kurtzkov's, doing it the right way. Whereas I think Siska promoting Berezutsky too soon, um, and you know I think that's mm-hmm. it's risky. You know I'm, I've got to say Siska are in transition at the moment, um, and I think a lot of the fans have just got to. Accept it. I think, you know, maybe expectations are a little bit too high there. You know, talk of, you know, qualifying back for Europe again, finishing the top five. I don't think they're going to finish in the top five. I think, you know, they're, they're struggling at the moment. And it's really sad for Igor Ekinfeyev having been such a loyal servant for them that the final few years of his career when he winds down now is going to be spent, you know, trolling around in mid-table in transition. You know, I'm not hugely optimistic about Siska based on what I've seen. Ejuke had a good game though. And hopefully now... He's the one who they're going to build around because, you know, we just still don't know what's going to happen with Vlasic. But Ejuke, I thought, had a good game. So he was one bright positive for them. And as for Himke, um, I think with um, with Himke, uh, what, what fascinates me most about them is their transfers. Um, they brought in some interesting players like Kemal Ademi. He was scoring a lot of goals in the Swiss League for Basel a few years ago. They've prepared themselves quite well as well. They've brought in Vitaly Sitchev from um, Tambov, who you would have thought would have been a replacement for Ilya Lantratov, but they haven't managed to sell Lantratov yet, which I find surprising. Nobody's coming for him. Very, very surprising indeed. They've managed to get Kira Bozhinov back on loan from Rostov. Um, tied up deals for Brian Idowu. So, yeah, I think him. I think um, Himki have had a very good window. Um, and the, they've got a good manager as well in uh, Chilevchenko. Um, and they've had a decent start so far as well. Four points in the first three games. Yeah, they'll be fine again. Looks like they've, they've prepared their squad well, managed it well, and um, yeah, I think they're in a in a good state. You know, but I don't think they'll qualify for Europe or anything. But they'll probably be somewhere between eighth and eleventh, um, which in a table, which I think is more than adequate and good. Another good season for them. So yeah, they're looking good so far. 
Yeah, certainly. I think <laughs> we've said it before, but I think Siska hiring Ivica Rolic only to then sign Berezutsky number two is just one of the worst <laughs> managerial changes I've I've seen since hiring Olic in the yeah, first place. Um, I really don't know what Siska are trying to do there unless it's just appease the fans by getting legend after legend in to run the club. David, how have... Uh, How's Loco and Krasadar summer's been? I believe it's been a little bit of a what we thought originally was exciting, but also hectic transfer uh, summer for Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, yeah, well, Loco have started the season fairly well. Um, they've had a quite quiet summer in terms of transfers in. Uh, you know, the biggest being uh, the Croatian defender Tin Yedvai uh, coming in from from Leverkusen. They picked up uh, Nenakov from from Achmat. Which I thought was a smart signing to come in and um, play at fullback, but he's yet to play. Um, now the interesting thing with that is that obviously Nenikov can play on both fullbacks uh, spots, um, both right and left back. But then they've also gone and picked up Neotiknizian uh, from from Siska, who obviously is a left left back and potentially sometimes a, an attacker as well, left attacker. Uh, Five million for him. Which is a big fee. Um, I don't know how whether he's worth that amount of money, um, particularly when you've just picked up Nenikov, who who can play both sides. But but they did it. You know, he's an under twenty one international. Maybe they think he, he's going to go and play for the national team soon. There's certainly rumours that Carpian was eyeing him up. Um, but yeah, certainly the the outgoings, uh, or you know, the the rumoured outgoings and. The work with uh, Ralph Ragnick and Thomas Zorn, with, with rumours surrounding, you know, allegedly offering out half of the big players in the team, Kukoviak, Miranchuk, Barinov, um, you know, and then Kukoviak going to Krasnar because of those rumours, because he'd heard these rumours that he was being offered out. He's like, well, fine, I, I will go then. And then only for the rumours a couple of days later to potentially confirmed as not true. Um, you know, it, it, Kogoviak, he's older. Obviously, uh, Ilya, I was hit listening to Ilya yesterday saying that, you know, he was in the last year of his contract at Loco, he was on big wages. You know, they, at least they've got a bit of money for him. So for them, from Loco's perspective, if they can go and go out and replace him, obviously Zorn and, and Co are still apparently working on, on transfers and they, they need a couple of big transfers. Uh, still in this squad, then then that's good. But Krasnar have picked up a good replacement for um, for Christopher Olsen, who who they sold to Anderlecht. You know, uh, Krikovic is definitely an upgrade and can definitely still do the business for for Krasnar in midfield. Um, so a good a good deal there for for them and maybe for Loco, depending on how Loco look at. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the the wild few days we had where it's seemingly half of Loco's best players were going to leave might have disappeared ever so slightly. But uh, they're certainly still lacking some players. They've got one, two, three, four, five, only six foreigners. So they've got two foreign spots and one of those foreigners is still Zebuish, who, by the way, is terrible. Um, like, I mean, without checking, I, I just feel like he didn't even play last season. Uh, I can't remember him scoring. That's a definite. Um, so yeah, the, if they've got the money, it'd be interesting to see who they can go out and bring in because two foreign spots there, and they and they've got gaps to to fill in that squad. Um, though I still think the squad is good enough, uh, especially under uh, Nikolic, to to do well again. I think they'll. I've got confidence that actually they will do well in Europe, um, based on how they did in the Champions League last year. I think they'll they'll be that team we were going to. Be able to go out and grind, grind out results. Um, it was a couple of youngsters as well. Obviously, Mukin went to, to Cisco on a free, quite converged, uh, controversially, and uh, Nikita Yosifov went went over to Villarreal. Um, so yeah, I think there's still stuff to come from Loco. And uh, obviously, we talked about Krasnodar there um, picking up uh, Krikoviak from uh, from Loco. Uh, and we also I also mentioned earlier that obviously they, they went and spent fifteen to twenty million on, on John Cordova, 
which is their, their two big deals. They, they brought in Ilyin earlier in the summer to, to fill in that Russian striker spot. Um, sort of, I guess, sort of replacing Ari potentially as the, as the Russian forward. And the Uros Spajic is back, which is a, is a step forward in, in their defence. Um, and actually, I think he did play against Zanit, but he's he was paired alongside first half Sorokin, I believe, and then second half Kayo. So they definitely need to go out and get a better centre-back partner because, you know, Spajic, the season before last, before he went out on loan, was, was their best defender. Um, mm. And I think he can, he probably still is on paper their best defender. Um the foreigner squat spots are still pretty full. There's rumours that Victor Klaassen is wanted by Pauk, um, a Greek website that RFN have been close with in the past, reporting that, and they're, they're usually very reliable. Whether Klaassen wants to go over there but um, is another question, but that would be potentially another 10 million to come in. Um, and with the attackers they've already got, Grant Lidl-Anderson is out until the, uh, until the new year. But you could potentially see them taking that foreign spot that Carson vacates and maybe bringing in uh, a defender. I don't know. They're, I mean, the squad seems so weak in general. Like, they've been playing Alexei Yonov up front each time. Vilenia's playing at left back out of position. They're doing fairly well. Um, you know, there are definitely gaps in that squad which need filling. Um, but the, the foreign limit that they've got imposed upon them it, is making things difficult. They've got one Krakowiak, Spajic, Ramirez, Cabela, Cordova, Klaassen, Kayo, Vilenia. That's the, they've got their eight full already and Randerson's in the squad unregistered because of his injury. So come January, they will need to do something if they want to keep playing with Anderson. Uh, and they'll presumably have to get rid of someone. Uh, if they do sell Klaassen now, then obviously they've got some wiggle room. But the squad's not really particularly competitive but they've not looked too bad out on the pitch so far I don't think um, they got past Ural in the first game they were they were dominant um, Ural obviously been very poor and they, they sacked their manager uh, last week they were good against Ural um, they were definitely also the dominant team against Kimki lost 1-0 um, and had you know buckets of chances and just could not convert any uh, call over didn't get a start in that game. But he has scored in, in his two other fixtures. He, he then played against Zenit where Krasnodar were, were not good, but also somehow good. Um, you know, that, that game they only lost 3-2, but really the, the free kick that they had disallowed, which I'm sure we've all seen um, very unfairly. I think we all can, can agree that goal was disallowed. You know, that, that game were, was a yard if that defender stood a yard to his left, then they don't disallow a goal um, from ending 3 all, And that's a huge improvement considering uh, Krasnar's recent results against Zenit in, in recent years. Um, so they, they definitely are good. Zenit have, have looked definitely poor defensively. Cordoba definitely seems to have taken to water quite well in the RPL. And I think will be a handful this season. Um, both... Uh, Alexander Chernikov and Eduard Spurziano have started all three fixtures so far for Krasnodar. So that's the next two kids out of the, the Krasnodar pipeline. Obviously, both have been involved with the first team in, in previous uh, seasons, but now they're seemingly a fully part of the first team fold um, under Goncharenko, who, you know, we, we know that Goncharenko's got a penchant for bringing through younger players, but they're the only two, you know, the bench has not had any other young players involved. Uh, other than Shappy and, you know, at 22, you don't even count him as young anymore, really. Um, but there's none of the other boys from Krasnodar's Academy who are sort of having a weak couple of years, I must say. You know, they've been struggling in, in the Feniel. Um So, yeah, it's it's, a, it's an interesting start to the season for them. And I'm, I'm thinking they'll do better than last season. Um, but there's still definitely big gaping goal, uh, holes in, the, in that team. That's That's for sure. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I think they're, like the team I'll get on to next, they're really trying to balance that foreign element and and have done so quite unsuccessfully in the past, to be honest. I'm not quite sure where they're going to get this extra defender in unless they they do get rid of some of the, some of the players they already have. Um, um, 
if I move on to Akmat, who are another side we've barely spoke about this season and are also struggling with the foreigner limit, I'll, I'll quickly go through their list of players while we're on the topic. Um, but they've got, of course, Kanate, Yanchu, uh, Berisha, Poliaros, uh, Zoran Nizic, Bogosavac, and Bistrov, and Georgi Shelia in the, in the side as, as the eight foreigners, and then uh, unregistered Konrad Mikulak. As, as on top of that, so they also right at the upper limit. Um, for some reason, Khalid Kadyrov and Abubakar Kadyrov are still registered in the squad. Um, Abubakar himself has actually managed to make it on the bench. Yeah, they brought in Yaya Toure as the assistant manager, which was a little bit of a as expectedly strange one, but of course that's Grozny money and Kadyrov patronage goes a long way. Um, in terms of players, Andres Ponce has gone. Uh, contract was mutually terminated. Um, Ismael, Georgi Melkadja, Wilka Angel, uh, Vladimir Ilyin, as David mentioned earlier, Nenakov, Odis Roshi and Magomed Mitrashev have all moved on. Um, they've been replaced by some interesting players. Daniel Lutkin on loan from Krasnodar has played very well so far this season, scored his first direct free kick goal of his career. Uh, Mohamed Kanate, the target man from Himki, played playing quite well, already already off the mark. Uh, Artyom Timofeyev, of course, made his loan deal permanent transfer. And Lisov on loan from Lokomotiv. Of course, he was uh, at Krylia Sovietov under Talalayev, and Talalayev is a big fan of him. So much so, in fact, that Andrei Semyonov's actually been forced to the sidelines somewhat. He's now Akmat's fourth-choice central defender. Um, Talalaya favours a 4-2-3-1 with Zoran Nizic and uh, the captain and Lisov starting in centre-back but against Rubin obviously to try and shore things up they went to a back three and instead of calling upon Semyonov it was Alexander Putsko who got the call to start um, Talalayev I know likes his teams to play quite a possession-heavy football he likes them to, to, to be able to progress from the back and Semyonov isn't quite as good at that as Lisov and Putska. I mean, none of them are particularly that proficient, in my opinion, at doing so. But uh, it's potentially one reason why such an influential figure for so long is is kind of pushed to the sidelines there. Um, Akmat have actually been quite good so far. Um, they've obviously only won one of the three games and lost the other two. But they've actually, they've actually been playing some decent football. Um the constant upheaval off the pitch is a little bit of an issue as always. Obviously, behind the scenes, it's an absolute madhouse. Uh, they, they tend to have a lot of players coming in and going out, quite a lot of changeover and turnover year in, year out. But I think Talalayev is is essentially a good boss and they've got a good core of players there. Artem Timofeyev, Utkin and Vladislav Kalopuzov, I think he's on loan from Dynamo, uh, have all had good starts to the season and and represent a nice young Russian core. And I think that's one thing Talalayev is trying to do is is decrease the average age of the squad because for a long time they've relied on far too many players on the wrong end of 30. Um, he's trying to get a little bit more of a balance. Uh, Utkin, who I mentioned earlier, has came in and is playing well. He scored that wonderful free kick against Rubin. Uh, it was actually Akhmat's first direct free kick goal since May 2018 when Rodolfo, who was the long-term captain, scored against Angie. Uh, in that Rubin game, there was like a crazy five minutes near the end. Uh, Shelia in the Akhmat goal collided with Ivan Ignatiev. Um, the ref gave Shelia initially a yellow card and then went to VAR um, and then obviously sent Shelia off. So it was pretty shit. And then from that, Shelia kind of pushed out his arms and for like in in, in in expression was, ah, should never be red, red carded here. And as he like, flailed his arm out of the left. I think he just smacked one of his teammates like, right in the face and almost knocked him out. And then, of course, Rubin scored directly from that free kick. It was Seja Taksabanovic. So it, they've been a little bit ill-disciplined as usual and also a little bit unlucky. But the performances themselves have actually been not that bad. Kanate is a very good option up top, um, just in terms of being a brute target man. Still undecided in Yanchu, but Artyom Okipov have got on loan from Kuban uh, spent was probably Tambov's best player last season before they folded as a club. Uh, the 24-year-old's got he hasn't started yet, but he's got, he had some nice touches and some in some short cameos in in pretty much every game. But 
so far more of the same from Akmat, where they actually play some nice stuff, but everything that goes crazy off the pitch is just a constant hindrance to them. But with that, that's the end of this week's RFN podcast. I'll do have a couple of little little um, news pieces just to catch up on to finish off with. Uh, there was one big move, of course, in the transfer window this week. We have refrained from mentioning them too much because we did go quite into depth about Zenit last weekend, but they have finally confirmed the signing of Brazilian winger Claudinho, who was moved after taking up the foreigner spot, which was vacated by the departure of Seba Juliusi. Uh, as David mentioned earlier, Victor Klaassen has been linked with a move to Pauk to replace the Norwich-bound Christos Zolis. Uh, it's been rumoured at both 11 million and 1.5 million euros in different reports, so could be anywhere. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the 1.5 was just a little bit of quite wide of the mark. Uh, and finally, Alexander Tolstikov, the former agent, Krasnodar scout and director, has been linked with becoming Spartak sporting director after the departure of Dmitry Popov. He was arrested in 2016 as well for charges of money laundering, fraud and criminal conspiracy. Uh, I can't actually find what the result of those charges were, but he was certainly charged. So at the very very least, he should probably fit in quite well. The board of directors at Tarasovka, who are also frauds anyway, in the in the other sense of the matter. Um, David, thank you for joining me. Not a problem. And Richard as well. I, th- I believe we've got a few little technical issues where we've had some losses of connection, but thanks again to Richard. And we'll be back more at the usual time next week. This has been the Russian Football News Podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь, но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.